I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. What Drives You is brought to you by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping life and leadership coaches. Visit Ziggler.com and let them inspire your true coaching performance. Yeah. Welcome to What Drives You. I'm Kevin Miller, your host and guide to help you master your inner drive so you can live a driven, inspired, and peaceful life that sees you driving further and enjoying the ride. In this episode, it's a special one. I bring you Silicon Valley legend and all-around wise guy, a nice guy, Guy Kawasaki. I have read Guy's books. I've had him on the show twice before. I have hung out with him face-to-face in San Diego. And I think our relationship was solidified after he butt-dialed my cell phone one afternoon. And we ended up talking about him starting a new podcast, which he did. It's Guy Kawasaki's Remarkable People. It's now become a top-ranked show that you can go check out right now. Uh, But Guy is just an incredibly interesting person. He was the original chief evangelist of Apple. And he has many stories about him with Steve Jobs and the early foundations of Apple. Today, he's an evangelist for Canva and he has been for Mercedes. But uh, much more than that, he's just a big influence and all around fun guy. Uh, You'll have fun listening here. I brought him back on to talk about his early and current drives both personally and professionally. And honestly, it's just a fun romp through him admitting he never had some huge visions, but he did have some clear motives and he went forth and he accomplished them and many more things. As you'll hear, some of those early motives include simply avoiding robbery uh, and finding a nice car. He wanted to get a nice car. You'll hear that in a second. This will be a really good showcase that you don't need some giant killing uber altruistic goals to get you driven and achieving great things. You just need some clear goals that you have faith in, you believe in, you agree with. Uh, You can connect with Guy really everywhere. The guy's a social media giant. His website is GuyKawasaki.com. Really encourage you to check out his podcast, Remarkable People. All right. Well, as we were just chatting about, the reason I thought of you first is because I remember you talked about an early motive of a car. Oh, you start there, and then we'll 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 go from that point. So, in contrast, maybe to many of your guests who want to dead the universe, make the world a better place, uh, my motives <laughs> not nearly as highbrow. So, I was born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii, and. Uh, I'll tell you several stories about my motive. 
So one is that uh, I was I was raised in a semi top part of Hawaii. You know, not exactly Wailai Kahala for people who are familiar with Hawaii, which is you know, just the best part of Hawaii. I was kind of the worst part of Hawaii, and so twice in my life I was uh, hijacked. Like you know, people ask me for my lunch money, and so. Now, that's motive story number one, because I, I said to myself, someday I'm going to be so rich that I am never going to be hijacked and robbed. I am just not going to be dealing with crime. I'm not going to be in crime areas, and I'm not going to be catching public transportation where both of these you know, robberies occurred. So that was motive number one. And then motive number two, um, somewhere in my high school year, somebody gave me a ride in a Porsche 911. And I said, oh, my God. I mean, this is a whole new world here of portions. And then in college, uh, I went home once with my roommate. And his mother uh, drove a Ferrari Daytona. So one night we're out to dinner. And she says, you know, guy, will you drive us home? So I drove the Ferrari Daytona. And I said, wow. I mean, so, you know, people are talking about changing the world. I just wanted to change the car. Uh, <laughs> Oh, well, and that's what I appreciate. As I talked about, you know, the motive, what drives us? It's always it's such a curiosity of mine. And we all wonder about that in personal development. We go for, you know, years and years consuming stuff, waiting for that catalyst that just makes us go get off the couch and go do something. And you had a car and it was strong enough to make you go do something. I got, I got, you want to hear more motive stories? <laughs> Please. That's what we're here for. So uh, another thing is, uh, Years ago, years ago, I was in a, I was driving a Porsche at the time. So I, I pull up to this stoplight and I look to my left and there's this car with four girls, teenage girls, and they're giggling and they're laughing. They're making eye contact with me. And I thought, you know, guy, you truly arrived. <laughs> you said teenage girls know who you are. So the girl in the front seat says, roll down the window. Well, she doesn't drive a 911. You don't roll down the window. You push a button, the window goes down. Okay. So she sticks her head out of the car and she says to me, are you Jackie Chan? <laughs> and so ever since that day, yeah. my motive has been that one day, Jackie Chan, he's in his Maybach or his, you know, S-Clans, Rolls Royce or whatever he's in in Hong Kong. And he pulls up to a stoplight and he sees this car with teenage girls in it and they're making eye contact with him. And the teenage girl says, roll down your window, Jackie. And Jackie rolls down his window. And the girl sticks his he her head out and says, are you Guy Kawasaki? <laughs> That's one of my motives in life. Absolutely. We need to find Jackie Chan just to make that happen. <laughs> well, I mean, you have, you know, a pretty storied past of, of being at Apple and all the things that you did there. And obviously, I mean, that is the curiosity you were driven, even that when you look back, even to the car, I mean, there's plenty of people who want things, but they, they aren't driven enough to go do them. If I ask you, yeah, just to think back, I mean, why is it that the drive was strong enough to make you go after uh, it? Well, uh, maybe because I'm, and I use this with air quotes, I'm only third generation Japanese American, right? So I am the first generation of my family that went to college and I came from you know, lower middle-class family. I, it wasn't like, you know, we're struggling to eat. Okay. So, you know, I don't have that kind of story where, 
you know, we caught the last, last helicopter out of South Vietnam from the embassy and they, you know, dropped us off in Fresno, California right. and said, right. okay, here's 20 bucks in a suitcase, have at it, welcome to America. So I don't have that kind of true racial Algiers story, but it's not like I was born into wealth, you know, it's not like my name is Donald Trump Jr. So, so a lot of it, it was just the hunger that, that whether it's a car or whether it's, you know, not living in a crime area or something, that was the motive. And I'll, I'll tell you a, a motivating story from someone I just interviewed for my podcast, Christy Yamaguchi. Yeah, yeah. So she tells this great story that in her first figure skating competition, she placed 11. <laughs> really? And so, so Christy Yamaguchi, you know, best skater in the world, said to her mother, why did the girls who finished first, second, and third get a ribbon? And I didn't get a ribbon. And her mother explained that, you know, well, Christy, you finished 11th. Only the first three places get a ribbon. And that motivated her. I mean, I can't tell you that that single thing right. made her the world's greatest figure skater. But you'd be amazed, those little things. Yeah. Uh, they motivate you. Well, well so going back e even into your story, how many siblings did you have? I have just one. Just one. Uh, brother? Sister. Sister. So was she driven, hungry like that, to change her demographic of living, would you say? Uh, she was definitely, uh, she's smarter than I am. Uh, she was definitely a hard worker. She, I don't, I don't know if she was driven. Well, a lot of it is, you know, it, it's a, it's a combination of factors, right? So it's the opportunity yeah, and the grit and the drive and basically all three are necessary. So, yeah. so, uh, she, she just had a different, you know, life path. What about examples for you? I mean, did you have anybody that stood out where you saw the grit and the drive? So it was familiar to you or you were exposed to it or did you just find it inside yourself? Well, I, you know, I was not a naturally gifted anything. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> not athlete, not student, not anything. And so the secret to my success in life is grit. Okay. And you know, if if you have a choice between taking someone who's kind of a natural or someone who's gritty, I would take the gritty person all day long. Yeah. So grit more important than talent. Okay. That's a quotable statement. What's the next thing? So cars, what's the next thing? that you were striving for and, and this is like you know personal or professional was it you know yeah per, so, so the car that was a, that was more of a personal thing what was the next thing was it personal was it professional what was going on after that well I, you know i was living in silicon valley and the dream in silicon valley is to start the next hewlett packard next apple next you know something like that so i was driven by entrepreneurship and yeah, I can't claim that I've actually achieved that. I have not started an Apple. I worked for Apple. So uh, that was definitely a motivation. And I, it, you know, everybody talks about how they started a company to change the world and that the universe. And um, I, I, I wanted to start a successful company. And I, now, 
you know, that's different from saying, ah, oh, I wanted to work for Goldman Sachs so I could be a private equity billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have slightly higher ambition than that or different ambition than that. So I wanted to start Apple. I fell in love with entrepreneurship in Silicon Valley. It's in the air here. Yeah. Well, so with Apple, you went there, obviously didn't start it. So you're, I mean, you started off as an employee yes. there with what goals at that time? Do you think I want to just climb up the ladder there or find your opportunity outside of that and use it as a catalyst? I, I thought that Apple would be a catalyst. Right. So I left Apple twice to start companies. Uh, probably would have made tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. You know, leaving Apple two times and, and I also declined the third offer from Apple. Uh, <laughs> can't say that that was the smartest decisions in my life. What happened with those other businesses then? Um, you know, they did okay, but you know, they never sort of escaped yeah. uh, uh, the gravity, uh, the pull of gravity. So, you know, nothing you would have heard of. I mean, slightly successful, small software companies, things like that. Yeah. So what was the next fruition just vocationally after Apple? Uh, after Apple, there's two times after, after the Apple. third time, I guess maybe they yeah. wanted you back. Second time after Apple. Uh, and Steve offered me a job, but I, I declined. Uh, you know, I became a writer and a speaker, and then I embraced social media in a great way, very active on Twitter. And on Twitter, a company called Canva noticed that I was using Canva to make graphics. Yep. And so they reached out to me, and long story short, I became the chief evangelist of Canva. And Canva uh, is a place where you can make just the world's greatest graphics, right? So anybody can be a graphic designer using Canva. And Canva has done extremely well. Um, we, 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 make, we make about 3 million graphics a day, 3 or 4 million graphics a day. So yeah, Canva is... I, and I just got a tutorial. So I have a brandy guy working. And so he's been doing that. He'll pull up Canva and say, so what do you think about this and this and work on it? So I've gotten yeah. to see it. I didn't drive. But how long ago was that that you came on as? I have been with Canva for the only, and the only reason why I know this is because LinkedIn tracks it. I've been at Canva for like six years and four months. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, I, I started my career democratizing computers and I'm ending my career democratizing design. Okay. And then uh, I, I think, you know, as I look back, I was extremely lucky to work for Apple and I am extremely lucky to work for Canva. I think most people can go through a career not working for an Apple or a Canva. And I've had two. Yeah. So uh, I've been very fortunate. I mean, back even with Apple, though, I don't know. When was it that you got uh, billing or you brought to light this the secular evangelism concept? Well, I was recruited that way. I was uh, Apple's second software evangelist. So the concept was that Apple was not merely a personal computer. It was, you know, a life-changing quality of life, making people more creative and productive. It just wasn't the next kind of PC. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the evangelistic approach to and so tell me, tell me of that, because you you took that not just as a role there, but you took it and embraced that role as evangelist. I mean, did you find that's just a good fit for you, or did it fit again a motive that well, you appreciated? Uh, you know, you're you're ascribing to me too much thought and planning. So, in uh, retrospect, <laughs> so evangelism comes from a word meaning bringing the good news. So I brought the good news of Apple 
that Apple was good news, making people more creative and productive. Yeah. So at the end of my career, I'm bringing the good news of Canva because Canva is empowering people to communicate better with graphics. And so uh, I have used the evangelism shtick and methods throughout my career. Now, one of the requirements of evangelism is that you have to have a product that e is evangelizable. Yeah. And uh, to be evangelizable, you have to have a good product. That's the start of great evangelism. Well, you're also doing, uh, or you were, are you still with Mercedes? Yes. Well, yeah. Uh, Mercedes-Benz brand ambassador, that's kind of a, that's a real one-tenth of one percent problem. So basically I get any Mercedes I want and <laughs> I'm just driving around. It's a good motive, a good, good thing to be driven, to be driven by. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so it, your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Good thing to be driven to be driven by. Well, so as you go along, you know, I mean, you, you've written how many books now? 15. 15 well, books. Some people say I wrote one book 15 times, but yeah, 15. Oh, well, either way. So, th so there, when you did that, was that a, Hey, I'm going to take advantage of my audience and, you know, put a book deal together or was it, I want to impart. I mean, I think that the motivation for writing books should be purer than that. Um, 
yeah, believe me, I get contacted by authors and prospective authors all the time. And if they lead off with, you know, I'm Joe Blow and I want to increase my speaking. I want to increase my thought leadership position. I want to increase my consulting. You know, I tell them to go pile salt because the reason to write a book is not because it's a means to an end. I think a book should be an end in itself. And so the reason to write a book is because, duh, you have something to say, yeah. it. And so if you don't have anything to say, don't write a book. Yeah. Because, you know, nobody's waking up in the morning saying, God, if only I could help Joe Blow increase his speaking or his consulting, you know, that's what I want to do. Where is that book so I can help you? Nobody gives a shit. So where, uh, if you look at your books, which one or ones, you know, what are some specific messages you wanted to impart, you wanted to bring forth, and it was worth you well, putting a book together for it? Yeah, you know, it's, it's like telling someone with 15 children, what's your favorite child? Um, I think that the book for entrepreneurs is definitely The Art of the Start. The Art of the Start 2.0, it explains everything you need to do to start a company. And I don't mean just, you know, how to ship a minimum viable product. I mean, that is a book in and of itself, but I cover it enough so you understand the concept. So it, it, I cover all con all aspects of starting a company, the, the funding, the product development, the recruiting, the sales, the support, all that kind of stuff. So it is a, like one-stop shopping for starting a company. So that's for entrepreneurs. My latest book, Wise Guy, is a yeah. compilation of stories that have influenced my life, such as getting robbed, such as getting a ride in that Porsche and the Ferrari. Um, so it's kind of like chicken soup for the soul, except it's all guys' stories. Um, I tried to name it miso soup for the soul, but my publisher wouldn't go. <laughs> uh, and that's where we talked about wise guy. I so appreciated reading through that, reading the stories. It does show a lot of the different motives, you know, from a personal side and a professional side. You know, so as all that's going on though, I want to ask you on the personal side, as all that's going on with, your vocational career and, and Apple and other companies and your go along, what on your personal side, what are some of the, you know, just to go out there and make things happen and do stuff. What were some of the personal motives, even if you again, didn't have them now, but in retrospect, you look back and go, man, what was driving you at that well, point? To be honest, uh, I have four children and they all went to private school. So I had a lot of bills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do not underestimate the need to pay your bills as a motive. Uh, I can, you know, I can do my Sandra Bullock, uh, uh, in a beauty pageant. I want to dent the universe and change the world, but I'm telling you, you know, you got bills, you got to pay. I mean, when you're okay, so going to your kids, when you talk about evangelism, bringing yeah. the good news, what are what have been some of the drivers as a father that you've wanted to evangelize your kids for, towards? Well, I hope I have imparted some of the values that my parents imparted to me. And it is about, you know, honesty. It is about respect. It is about the, the need to help people who are less fortunate, that if you are blessed, you have an obligation to help other people. Now, I'm not holding myself up as a role model. Okay. <laughs> a la Charles Barkley. Uh, parenting is 
one of the hardest things. I mean, if you thought business was hard, oh my God, parenting is much harder. Than yeah. With your, what are your, what are your kids' ages today? Uh, they are 27, 25, 18, and 15. Where do you see them on this, as a, on this aspect of motive and drive, which my, so my kids, I've got, I got a lot of kids and I so often just found myself, you know, what I, what I hoped for, for them. I mean, I hope that they, I, I would hope for them to have something they want, something they drive. And I think we're in a culture where yeah. people want less and less other than just the immediate appetite, you know, shallow appetite, but we want less and less of anything of, of, you know, value to go out and actually get off the couch and do something. And so, you know, I saw with my kids and I, gosh, I want that. We've had those discussions. Where do you see your kids? Well, and I'll ask you too, because as you know, and I've seen so often people who came from, let's say humble beginnings and said, I want something different. They went forward and you created something better. That's all your kids know. They don't know super yeah. humble beginnings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm telling you that I think there's definitely a, a dilution of motivation and grit the longer your family has been in America, right? So that first generation starts with nothing. They say what they can to so that the second generation can at least go to high school. And then the next generation makes it so that the third generation can go to college. Yeah. By the third generation, you've kind of made it. And so now you can be a lawnmower or a helicopter parent and your kids don't have to be gritty and all that. It's something I think about all the time. Uh, you know, so what do you do? Purposely deprive your kids? <laughs> Tell, that's easier said than done. I know, I know. So, so I'm, I, you know, what I, I deal with it as a father, and yeah, what do you? You don't want to. I mean, you want to provide the best form, but I also, you know, that cushy life doesn't often help. I, I, I do not have the answer to that. You're gonna have to interview somebody smarter. Than me. <laughs> well, as you see your kids, where would you say? I mean, obviously not to pick one out, but have they have they been? <laughs> You know, have you seen some of them fairly driven, some of them not so much? Well, okay, so this is, I can't tell you I've, that any of them are truly driven, driven, but they are hard workers, okay? So I have no, no issue there. But I think a lot of it is that looking back, I think everyone overrates nostalgia, right? So I think the natural trap is, you look back and you say, you know, when I was your age, I was studying, I was working part-time, I was doing all this kind of stuff. None of this, you know, like, you know, I, I didn't waste my time with stuff like TikTok. I wasn't playing Call of Duty all day. Yeah. You know, like, what's wrong with this, this world? And I basically think every generation says that about the previous generation. My father probably said that about me, like, you know, you're watching this Disney movie every Sunday night yeah. and you're watching Ed Sullivan and, you know, you're watching TV. I never had TV. And I think a lot of it is just kind of retroactive remembering the past differently. That, yeah. You know, I think nostalgia is overrated. That This concept that, you know, good Americans, they used to eat family dinners together and they discuss politics and religion and, you know, intellectual stuff. And then after that dinner, they went into the family room and they played board games and they interacted even more. Like, what family do you know that did that? <laughs> um, yeah. So, 
Listen, if my kids answer my text message, man, I consider that a victory. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I ask that question. I care about their drive. I mean, with my kids, I find you know what I most care about, man. I want them to to care for each other and to care for other people. Well, kind of back to what you said, those values, even if they're not the most driven. Um, but then, you know, at some point you want them to leave home and go do something, go do something productive. Well, well, one, you know, one solution is to, uh, set up your living trust such that at the point you die, that, you know, they, they don't get, they get a third of your estate at 30, a third at 35 and a third at 40. Right. Yeah. So it's not like the moment you die, it's time to go buy the Ferrari and Porsche. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Where you today, guy? I mean, so you've got, you've got, yeah. Your last book was Wise Guy. Is there another yeah. book on the another book on the horizon? Oh, you know, I have fallen so in love with podcasting. I don't know if I'll ever write another book. Of course, I said that fourteen times, but yeah, uh, I think that podcasting is a superior platform. the The publishing world, the just in time publishing is a myth. Okay, so it takes a year to write a book. When all the dust settles, it probably takes nine months or a year for your publisher to get it into the distribution channel. But, you know, call it a year and a half or two years to yep. finish your book. Whereas podcasting, every week you can release something. Every week you can change. You can go back and change it in your podcast, right? You can edit the sound. And so uh, imagine if you were writing a book. Oh, okay. So here, here's, imagine you finish the book six months ago about how to be an entrepreneur in the year 2020 and beyond. Yeah. Okay. And then we have this pandemic. Basically, there is nothing in that book is probably relevant anymore, right? That book is probably saying, well, you know, you, you get your pitch, you go to Silicon Valley, you meet with them and you know, you whatever, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you you look for low cost manufacturing overseas. Uh, you you use a you don't want to own property, so you lease a space from WeWork. I mean, can you see where just about everything I just said is wrong today? And so, but versus the podcast, you know, tomorrow's podcast can say, "This is what you have to do." Yeah, can't do that with a book. So tell. Tell me about that. It was because it was the show. I think it was that last one that I did with you on wise guys when you were thinking about starting a podcast yeah. and uh, can, can we divulge what your initial name of the podcast was going to be? Uh, well, there were several, but one initial name was going to be wise guy, right? Yeah. Well, I remember duh. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I, I seriously, for those of you who are watching, you may like now close your brow there. <laughs> Be like, why would I listen to this idiot? So I, I seriously thought about naming my podcast. Duh. I was interested in it, uh, in, the, in the name. Seriously, it was. Well, maybe I was wrong. I should have named it Duh. But you know, the problem with Duh, and I, for those of you who hopefully are, you know, understand the context of what Duh. I mean, Duh is like Duh. Yeah. You know, so it, it was going to be positioned of you know this, this is kind of wisdom from from smart people that duh you should understand i think the problem is that it it undersells my guests because you know you you would not associate an interview with jane goodall margaret adwood stephen yeah. pinker stephen wolfram stephen wozniak 
Andrew Yang, Roy Yamaguchi, Christy Yamaguchi, Sean Thompson, Bob Cialdini. You would not associate such remarkable people being on a show called Duh. Yeah, yeah. So that was the problem. Now, you know, Duh sounds more like, you know, dumb doing stupid things that could get them killed. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, duh sounds more like, you know, dumb doing stupid things that could get them killed. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So re was, so remarkable people. Now, I was going to ask you, again, motive behind that. Now, you just said wisdom from smart people. Is yeah. that is that your hidden, yeah. hidden tagline for the show? Is that the purpose of the show? In the spirit of transparency, there are two versions of the purpose and story of the show. Okay. Story number one is what you said. I have remarkable guests. I would put my guest list up against anybody in pop. I would too. I've seen it. Yeah. You know, including Terry Gross. And, and so it is about getting remarkable people to talk about their careers so that, you know, the listener can get to be a little more remarkable too. But right. by listening to Jane Goodall, you will learn something. I guarantee you. Okay. So that's story A. Story B was related to your question about book publishing. So when I released Wise Guy, I did a lot of podcasts, for example, with you. Yes. And, and I would talk to a lot of these podcasters and I would ask them, so you know, what is the business model for podcasting? And they said, well, we run an ad in the front. We add a, run an ad in the middle. We run an ad in the middle, uh, in the end. I said, so how much do you charge for each of these ads? And they said, well, 25000 for the first one, 20000 for the second one, and 15000 for the third one. So I do the math, you know, I can add up 25 and 20 and 15 and you don't get 40 or 50 grand. And I say, so how often do you do a podcast? Oh, 52 times a year. So I can multiply 52 times 50 and get two and a half million bucks. And I said to myself, why am I writing a book? Yeah. It takes a year to write a book, nine months of aggravation. And then, you know, you get an advance and you never get any more than the advance unless you truly strike lightning and you exceed the advance, not many books do that. And so I just looked at that, I said, so I'm writing a book that takes a year that I cannot change, you know, once I finalize it, it's gonna be out of date the moment I send it. I'm gonna get an advance, I'm never gonna get any more money than the advance. Whereas I could do a podcast every week, and if I strike lightning there, I could have fifty thousand bucks worth of revenue for each one. This is an IQ test. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I'm I'm tracking. I'm... You know which one sounds better? Now, having said that, I'll be the first to admit that I have not cracked the code to how to get subscribers. I definitely have the content. There is no question I have the content. Yeah. I don't know how to get four or five million. You know. I don't know how Joe Rogan did it. I I don't know. I don't either. Achievable. So I maybe yeah. all your listeners will now subscribe, and my problem will be over. Well, that's one of the reasons we we were here. Go subscribe to Remarkable People and check out Guy Kawasaki. That's why I've got you. One of the reasons I got you on the show. You know, Guy, you are you're pretty um, uh, you, you, no holds barred with money. You're happy to make money. Um, now you also seem to be someone who enjoys having fun and enjoying what you do and looking at what you've done. I'm also going to say 
even though I don't, th- I don't know if you like being held up in an altruistic uh, pedestal, but yeah. you, you also like to do good. You talked about values. I mean, you want to do well, uh, to serve people well in there. But those three, money, doing good, having fun, yeah, back to motive. I, I, I'm thinking about myself too, but how, how do you, because uh, sometimes you're driven more by one thing than the other, depending on the circumstances, depending on the yeah. season of life. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think that, you, you know, it's a zero sum game that if you do things for money, you cannot do things for yeah. good. If you do things for good, you cannot make money. Agreed. Uh, so I, th- I think you can do all three. And, you know, there are cases where, like, I, I believe in the Robin Hood theory. So if a Fortune 500 brand calls me up and says, I want you to speak or do something. But if a Fortune 500 brand calls up and says, I'm having a sales conference and, you know, will you speak? I tell them my fee and I don't really negotiate because I know that, you know, if Fortune 500 brand is bringing 2,000 people to Orlando, they're probably spending a million bucks on the the wine, right? Yeah. And so you're telling me, so, you know, you can spend a million bucks on wine, but you can't pay your speakers because what? I mean... You want an opening or closing speaker that's going to set the tone for the whole conference, but you want him to make less than you're spending on wine? Like, so there's that part of me that I, that's like, you know, the reason why you rob banks is ask because there's where the money is. On the other hand, if it's an educational institution, if it's a not-for-profit, I, I, I don't, it's not about the money, right? So now, okay, now, if it's if it's a university that has a fifty billion dollar endowment, then it's kind of like a Fortune five hundred brand, right? Totally. But if it if it's a high school or if it's a if it's a community organization or it's a tech association of Santa Cruz, that that's part of your moral obligation. Yeah, and and I will tell you that it's part of your moral obligation. But believe it or not. It does sometimes, in fact, oftentimes pay off because what I've noticed is the more you, well, this is again, pre-pandemic, right? right? The more you speak, the more you speak. And so what happens is you speak for a tech association and lo and behold, the spouse of the VP of sales or marketing of a Fortune 500 brand is there. Spouse goes home and says, honey, I just saw this great speaker. He would be perfect for your sales conference. Well, that conversation would have never occurred if I had told this not-for-profit or this community association, you've got to pay me. I don't speak for free. And so even something like this I'm doing with you, you know, knock on wood that some spouse, some significant other, or the person himself or herself is watching this. This is, well, you know, guy is pretty good virtually. You know, he could pull off a virtual conference talking about motivation, talking about enchantment evangelism, innovation, we should bring them in as a keynote speaker for our virtual conference. And it happened because I said, hey, Kevin, go for it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. When you, so you do, you you talked about, you get hit up by, you know, by authors, uh, would-be authors. You get hit up by companies. So again, looking at that, talking about motive, looking at money, doing good, having fun. um, How often do you... So you're going to look at the money and see, is it worth your time regardless for the most part? Is it worth your time for, for whoever, you know, it is and how it's going to serve them, um, on the, 
you know, doing good, having fun. How often do you turn stuff down because you say, regardless of the money, I'm just, I'm not going to support that. Uh, wait, so you're asking if they had the money, uh-huh. I turn them down. Mm-hmm. Well, or there've been some times when you wish you had in retrospect. Um, well, a lot of it's self-selection, right? So if, if, a if a company uh, is interested in me, they kind of know that, you know, where I stand on certain things such as politics. Yeah. Uh, but I never discuss politics in my speeches, but you know, let's just say that the, that the CPAC or the Republican national committee is not contacting me to speak at a Republican event, for oh, yeah. example. And if, if a, I, I have turned down speeches for tobacco companies. Yeah. Right. I think, I don't know how you can make the case that tobacco is something that you should try to help them figure out how to evangelize tobacco so you can kill more people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I have a line there that I draw. Um, have I, I have spoken for a company that made slot machines. I even, I have to think twice about that one. But, you know, would I do keynote speaker for the NRA? No. So, yeah, okay. that's, that's my bright hard line. So if we take money off the table, now I'm just getting again into, into drive, into your, into your interest, money's off the table, or just assume that whatever you're going to do next, this next speaking gig pays 500 grand, regardless, 500 grand, 500 grand, you get to speak guy for 45 minutes on the topic of your choice. What is it? Well, okay. Assuming it's not, you know, tobacco or guns or something, right? Is that part of the. No, you get to speak. You get to choose. It's the, it's the, you know, it's, you get to speak on the thing that you would want to impart. Well, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a mean question. It's I'm putting you on the spot. I'm thinking of myself too. What would I say? My, my initial response is if somebody's going to pay you 500 grand, you basically speak about whatever. They want. <laughs> <laughs> True. Okay. We'll lower it. 50 grand. I mean, you know, maybe Michelle Obama could tell someone, no, I'm going to speak about this, not that. Yeah. But I'm not Michelle Obama. But, I mean, that's not the spirit in which you ask. Yeah. Um, so if someone said, all right, forget the money for a second. Okay. So if somebody said, we're going to put you in front of, you know, 50,000 people live and, you know, another 5 million virtually. Pick any topic you want. Um, I would give a talk based on my book, Wise Guy, about the lessons in my life. And the lessons in my life, including the role of education, the role of this motivation, um, the role of innovation, like just the major lessons of my life. That would yeah. be the speech I would give. I, I would come to that. Uh, <laughs> which, I, and again, I'll point back to the book. I did, I did so appreciate just reading through. And it was almost like a, a memoir in essence, but how yeah. you wrapped it up with, well, that's why I had you on the show about it. Why you and how you wrapped it up with those lessons. I had a guy, um, uh, David Meltzer. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he said, he talked about, about similar thing about the lessons, you know, that it's great to have those lessons. I, I talked to both you guys in a short amount or in a, in a concise amount of time. And 
he talked about that. And if you're doing something over and over, uh, you know, repeating something wrong, you have not learned the lesson yet. And it really, it really, guy, I, well, I'll attest to you, man. It brought me to, in reading your book and hearing David, to thinking about what are the lessons that I have learned. And I actually went back some and thought, because I know there are there, but I hadn't really, um, I, I just hadn't written them down. I hadn't really given them the gravity. Yeah. Um, that they have and to look back and go, what are the lessons? And then also going forward to look at, you know, the next maybe difficult thing or challenging thing or blessing even and go, okay, what is the lesson of yeah. that? Yeah. What is the, in my own, you know, faith and believing that there's, there's a bigger picture going on to go in at what, what is the lesson? What should I see well, here? I, you know, I, I could make a case that I don't know about you, but I think things are slowing down. I mean, you're definitely getting, uh, at least I am, I'm getting two hours back a day from not driving around. Totally, so, yeah. And I used to, pre-pandemic, you know, I would drive my son to school, that's half an hour one way, then I would stop at a coffee shop and sit there for two hours, so not totally unproductive, but certainly it took me longer to eat breakfast in a restaurant than now I make myself a cup of coffee and a peanut butter and banana sandwich. Yeah. yeah. So then there's that. And then sometimes I would eat lunch out. That's another hour. And then I would go pick up my kid half an hour there, half an hour back. You know, now we have time to be reflective. Honestly, how do you, I mean, look, so let's, let's hit right here, right now. Motive looking at what has driven people. Now life has come to a, a stop in a lot of senses for folks. So I think that motivation is for many people is going to be economic survival yeah uh you know i, I wish i could tell you it's all going to be about self-actualizing your life goals and you know enrichment and all that kind of stuff i i literally think it's survival i mean if this number is true about i don't know whatever the number is half of americans have only in their bank account you know one month of expenses that's a big freaking deal man yeah. <laughs> uh so i don't Listen, I wish I could, you know, find some other speaker who will tell you, yeah, it's all about realizing your dreams and digging deep into your soul and finding your inner child and all that. God bless you, man. But I think it's just, how do we make ends meet? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Thanks for the candor. That's why I appreciate doing these shows with you. And uh, uh, just, yeah, grateful for, grateful for the wise guy wisdom that you impart. Thank you. Uh, thanks for being with us again, man. Well, friends, I just so much appreciation for Guy. I know you got a lot of value out of it. Again, you can get him at GuyKawasaki.com or any social media. Just type in Guy uh, Kawasaki. And again, whatever you're listening to podcast-wise right now, just type in Remarkable People and you'll find him talking to Remarkable People. And if you got value, please leave us a rating on Spotify and Apple, leave a review in Apple, let people know what you think. And thanks to all of you who've been doing that recently, you can uh, see the shows on YouTube and social media at kevinmiller.co. And if you want to learn more about how to master your own drive, like Guy Kawasaki has, check out my book, What Drives You on Amazon in any format that you want to. And until next time, stay driven. Yeah.